Well, over the past several weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we've been preaching through various parts of the Old Testament, uh, seeing that the gospel is everywhere, uh, that the gospel is not a new concept in the New Testament, uh, but is rather something central, rooted in the very character of God since the beginning and everywhere in the Old Testament. And, and we're going to pick back up with that in a couple of weeks. But today we're going to shift gears. We're going to shift gears to the New Testament. Because today is Palm Sunday, Sunday before Easter. Today, the Sunday when we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he is hailed as king, only to be rejected and nailed to a cross a few days later. Because in the end, the people don't see clearly. They're blind, spiritually blind. And this morning, we're going to journey toward Jerusalem with Jesus. And on the way, we're going to make a stop in Jericho. And there, we're going to encounter a blind man. And we're going to seek to see Jesus through his eyes. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 35 to 43. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 878. But let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. We look to you this morning, King Jesus, and we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you, that we might see you clearly, and in seeing that we might believe. And so we ask that once again you would open us to your word, and your word to us. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So again, our text, Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 35 to 43. Uh, however, I'm going to read it in its larger context of the triumphal entry. So I'm going to begin a few verses earlier, uh, chapter 18, verse 31. Then when we get to the end of the chapter, I'll skip uh, to verse 28 of chapter 19. So hear the word of God. From Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. 
And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, on entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And this is the word of God. Well, again, today, Palm Sunday the day we remember Jesus' triumphal entry. First here, hailed as king, king of kings, and yet crucified just days later. Well, I love the, the gospel writer Luke. He, he's, he is a, a master storyteller uh, and masterfully leads us in to this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. One of the things that I appreciate so much about Luke is, and if you pay attention, he says so much in so few words, just a few verses, we encounter a, a theater of glory, one after the other after the other. And here, in, in, in just a few words, we see his artistic skill played out in the, the story of this blind beggar. Because really it is as a, as a play would unfold before us. In just a few verses, Luke sets the stage. Then he creates some tension. He introduces suspense and intrigue and finally brings the story to its climax and resolution. And so that's how we're going to journey through the story together today, those four parts, setting the stage, uh, creating the tension, uh, seeing the suspense and intrigue, and finally the climax and resolution. So first, Luke sets the stage, uh, verses 35 to 37. Uh, hear these words again. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, Jericho is it's just outside of Jerusalem, uh, which we know is where Jesus is headed. Luke has just reminded us uh, that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. I read those verses at the beginning. And the crowd is going there too. Now, they're religious pilgrims. It's the annual Passover feast. And so the blind beggar has probably been coming to the roadside day after day as, as crowds pass by on their way to Jerusalem. But he can tell today there's something different. There's a, a bit more excitement. And so he, he asks what's going on. And the people answer, uh, possibly in an annoyed tone, it's, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passing by. Because we can see in the text that the crowd does not really want to be bothered by this blind man. 
No, they're caught up in this moment. They're enjoying their, their pseudo-celebrity status. They're seen with the, with the local hometown hero, Jesus of Nazareth. So having set the scene, quickly Luke creates some tension. Verses 38-39. The blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him telling him to be silent. Oh, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, social rules. We all know about social rules. They vary from culture to culture, context to context. No one ever hands us a book about social rules. Sometimes we learn them the hard way. Uh, For example, social rule, we're in a public gathering like this. I don't expect any of you to call out in the middle of the sermon. Okay? Amen. Except an amen. I'll I'll take an amen or two. That's great. Uh, However, I do remember one time when I was preaching in Vancouver, and there was a guy near the front of the worship area. I got to a particular place in my sermon, and he called out to me. He wanted to comment on the point I had just made. In fact, he wanted to dialogue about that point. So a social rule broken a little awkward. We, We made it through. But here we find this blind man, and he is breaking social rules. And one of those rules that he is breaking is that he is supposed to know his place in society. He is an outcast. He is marginalized. And if the crowd tells him to be quiet, he's supposed to be quiet. But he doesn't. He yells out. A cry for mercy, for compassion. And these people don't even stop to give him alms, which is why he's there in the first place. Something that would be commonplace, culturally expected on the way to Jerusalem for this this pilgrimage there. In fact, not only do they not give him the alms that would be expected, but they tell him to shut up. They see him as insignificant, annoying, unworthy. And you know, this blind man has probably experienced this type of rejection, his entire life. But for once, he won't be silenced. He yells louder. He is bold. He is persistent. He lays it all out on the line. Nothing else matters except Jesus. And it's interesting to note, did you see the distinction that Luke makes, the contrast that he highlights, the way that The crowd refers to Jesus in the way that the blind man refers to Jesus. The crowd refers to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. It's his hometown identity. I grew up about an hour uh, northeast of Atlanta, small city, Gainesville, Georgia. It would be like referring to me from my hometown. This is Camper from Gainesville. And so that's how they refer to Jesus. But the blind man calls out Jesus, son of David. In fact, the very words what we sang in our opening hymn. And here, hearkening back to to Psalm 2 and and other places throughout Scripture where he is declaring Jesus' royal and divine identity. Son of David, a, a title for God's chosen one. God's anointed one, the promised Messiah, the King. The blind man sees Jesus as he really is, King of kings. Lord of lords, life-giving, Son of God. 
So then Luke moves us on. He, he's now set the stage. He's created this, this tension through the breaking of social rules between a crowd and the blind man. And so now, what's Jesus going to do? Luke introduces the, the suspense and intrigue. Verses 40, 41. Jesus stopped and commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus doesn't ignore the blind man. He hears the cry of this blind man. And then he stops. And like a king, he gives a command. Bring the man to me. But then, like a servant, he looks at the man. He asks him, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Now, we know how the, the story ends, so we might miss the significance of this question. In fact, we might think it a bit unnecessary. I mean, we might say, hey, it's pretty obvious he's blind. He needs to be healed. Uh, you know, what's going on? Come on, Jesus. But you know what it's like when someone presumes upon you? Maybe you're sharing with a friend about a hard day. Maybe it's a prayer request, and rather than listen, they immediately jump in and give you some advice, tell you how to fix it. First service, I saw a wife nudge her husband. <laughs> yeah, I confess, I do that to my wife, Heather, as well. Uh, but I'm learning. But you know how that feels. Because, in a sense, you begin to feel disrespected, even though it's well-meaning. Well, Jesus does something wonderful in this question. Here, he is turning the tide. Because just a couple verses earlier, we have seen that the blind man has been rebuked. He has been pushed outside of the community. Jesus calls him to the very center of the community, erasing the margins that divide. And then in asking this question, Jesus is acknowledging that this man is a person. He is offering dignity to the outcast. He is empowering the powerless, because he's inviting the blind man to define what mercy will look like. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man goes for broke. Lord, I want to see. And you've got to wonder, did Jesus smile at that moment and think to himself, man, you already see better than anybody else in this crowd. The blind man sees Jesus for who he really is. So stage has been set. Tension created. The suspense and the intrigue. Now, finally, Luke brings this story in just a few verses to its climax and resolution. Verses 42, 43. Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately... He recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So this is the part of the story that Luke has been building up to. He wants us to pay attention here. And to get our attention, he uses three exclamation points. Okay, you know how when you're, you're writing an email or a letter and you want to emphasize something, you put an exclamation point. And if you really, really, really want to emphasize it, you put Three exclamation points. And some of you have received emails from Ron Pohl before 
And it's all caps, multicolored, and many exclamation points. Sorry, Ron, I saw you. I couldn't resist. I'm sure I'll get a rebuke to email later today from Ron. All right, amen. So what we see here is three times Luke uses the Greek word anablepe, meaning recover sight. Recover sight in quick succession, one after the other. The blind man says, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, recover your sight. And Luke records he recovered his sight. Three exclamation points. Pay special attention here. What does Jesus say next? Jesus proclaims, your faith has made you well. Now, some of you may be reading out of a different translation this morning. Your translation may say, your faith has healed you. Other translations, your faith has saved you. And the reason for that is because Luke uses a word that points to both physical and spiritual healing. And he intends this double meaning. And as I, as I think about this blind man, and, and I've, I've shared this before because it just stands out to me so powerfully, I'm reminded of J.C. Penney, the Christian businessman. He lived into his 90s, and of course, as he was growing older, his body began failing, including his eyesight. But he never lost sight of Jesus. And in his 90s, he made this statement. Though my eyesight is failing, my vision grows stronger. Like the blind man, he trusted Jesus, whom he saw through the eyes of his heart, the eyes of faith. Again, Jesus proclaims, your faith has made you well. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The blind man doesn't see at this point with physical eyes, but rather with the eyes of faith. Now, essential to understand is this, because the, the word faith gets tossed around today, often used in a generic sense. Just, just have a little more faith. But the essential thing to understand is this. Faith always has an object. Always. And the object of true faith is always a person, and that person is Jesus. And that is what is being commended here. And do you see the irony of it all? I mean, as Luke tells this story, it's the blind beggar who sees. The blind man sees Jesus for who he really is. And that puts a question before us. Do we see Jesus for who he really is? I mean, the crowd around him, for sure they thought they did. We're with Jesus of Nazareth. This is great. Hometown celebrity. We are soaking in this moment. Do we see him clearly? Or another way to, to turn that question would be to ask, what is blinding you? That brings us to the important issue of blindness or blind spots. Now, no matter how well we see, we all have blind spots. I mean, right now, can you see your own face or the back of your own head? No, blind spot. 
You ever been to a restaurant, dinner with friends? You get up, you go to the bathroom, you go to the sink, you wash your hands, you smile in the mirror and there's a big green chunk in your teeth? Blind spot. Get new friends. Okay, driving a car. When you drive a car, there are blind spots. And it's always that one, you know, over your left shoulder. Even with the rear view mirror, the side view mirrors, blind spot. Car companies are aware of this, aren't they? They're putting cameras on cars. You know, now the cameras so that you can see below the rear bumper, trying to eliminate blind spots. When I was 16 years old, I had a great car. You would have loved to have had my car. It was a huge 1973 K5 Blazer. Puke green, jacked up, and rusted out. It was awesome. Four-wheel drive. I eventually realized once I got the rusted screws out that the whole roof would come off. So it was like this really cool safari vehicle, 4x4 convertible. And I, I loved this car. Now, my brother, six years younger than me, often had to ride with me. He hated the car. In fact, he was so embarrassed that he literally would duck down if I was driving him somewhere. He didn't know what cool was. <laughs> now, now, some of you know that I played, because I've shared before, I played soccer in high school. And, and we were in a tournament. Uh, we had just finished our game, and so we went to a different venue to see these other two teams playing, because whoever won this particular game, we were going to play next. So it was me, the goalkeeper, and, and I took my friend Kyle, who was one of our top scorers, and we... We drove over together in, in my blazer. And I remember as, as we drove up, there were lots and lots of cars parked along the side of the road. I parked very carefully, okay? Important note. I parked very carefully. So game ended. Kyle and I are walking back to my car. I remember this so clearly. Okay, we're approaching my car from the front. I remember driver's ed. I look around the left side. Clear. Look around the right side clear. I get in, I top it off, I look in my rear view mirror. My side view mirror's clear. Bonus points. I then get up in my seat and look over my shoulder, out the back window, clear. There is not another car in sight. I start backing up, wham! And Kyle yells, stop. I'm like, thanks man, it's a little late. <laughs> he rolls down the window, he looks out, and he turns to me and says, uh-oh. I was like, what did I hit? Uh, that was my dad's 300ZX. So I backed into an expensive sports car. And to top it off, his dad was our soccer coach. <laughs> so as hard as I tried on my own to see, I still had blind spots. And you know, spiritually speaking, we've all got blind spots too. Any other object of faith creates blind spots. Any other object of faith is a false god, or as I put it a couple of weeks ago, a Christ replacement. It's those other things that we look to for satisfaction, security, significance. And you might be saying, well, but I do trust Jesus. And so let me, let me say it this way. It's not necessarily that we don't trust Jesus it's that we don't trust him alone, as if Christ is not all-sufficient. For us, it's often Jesus plus something. 
And Jesus plus anything is not the gospel. Whatever else we look to creates blind spots for us. These other things, if they are must-haves for us, they blind us from the truth. They keep us from seeing Jesus clearly. And it's not that these things are inherently bad. But whatever sets your priorities is your God. Some of you are familiar with Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor out on the West Coast in Seattle. And he puts it this way. The problem is when a good thing becomes a God thing. And so how can we figure out when that happens? How can we figure out what sets our priorities? If it's something other than Jesus, how can we f- figure it out? What, what, how can we figure out what rules our hearts? Well, Driscoll answers it this way. He says, begin by defining for yourself what your little hell would be. For you, hell is being poor. For you, it's being ugly. For you, it's being overweight. For you, it's being unloved. For you, it's being underappreciated or disrespected or misunderstood. And the fear of your hell compels you to choose for yourself a false savior, a false God, to save you from that hell. For those whose hell is being unmarried, your savior will be a spouse. For those whose hell is loneliness, you will choose for yourself a friend, a group of friends, a pet, and you will do anything, anything for them because they now function as your savior from your hell. So what are we to do? I mean, are we, are, are we stuck? Well, we do continue to struggle for sure, but there is something we can do. What does the blind man do? The blind man comes to Jesus empty-handed. And like the blind beggar, we too come to Jesus empty-handed. But you know, there's a problem with that. And the problem is, we don't like it. In fact, we despise coming empty-handed. Tom Cannon, a former RUF campus minister and now pastor of a PCA church down in Birmingham, says this. The kingdom that Jesus ushers in is the kingdom of need, one of grace and God's unmerited favor. But that repels us, and in turn, we rebel. In our brokenness and sin, we are now hardwired to do it ourselves, and so we create our own kingdom of self-sufficiency, and thus we trifle with our souls. We don't want to be like the blind beggar. We don't want to come with nothing. We don't want to be empty-handed. You know, if we're going to be like anybody in Luke 18, we're going to turn back one page. We're going to be like the rich young ruler. I mean, he's rich. He's young. He's powerful. This is the guy who has it all. This is the guy that I want to be. But ultimately, he's not empty-handed, and thus he's unable to receive from God, unable to receive God's grace because his hands are already full. They are closed tight around the stuff he thinks he needs, he thinks will rescue him. 
And if you know how the story ends, he walks away from Jesus. The blind beggar comes to Jesus empty-handed. He comes to Jesus not on the basis of any strength or self-sufficiency. He comes to Jesus on the basis of his weakness, his need. Like the blind beggar, we come to Jesus in our weakness, in our need, with nothing, empty-handed. And like I said, we, we don't like this. In fact, it, this is difficult for, for all of us to varying degrees. But this is especially difficult for us men. I mean, we don't even like to ask for directions when we get lost. Because we don't get lost, right? We're just taking a detour. We want to be strong. We want to be able. We want to be competent. Even when it is just, if you're married, just us and our spouse, we don't want to look incompetent before our wife. We're not even going to allow her to know us. We want to be self-sufficient in and of ourselves. But brothers, true strength is rooted in Christ. True strength is not rooted in self. True strength is dependent on Jesus and on Him alone. Because it's about being Christ-sufficient, not self-sufficient. And honestly, it takes a whole lot of boldness and a whole lot of real courage to admit our weakness and that we are truly people in need. And it's a process. It's a lifelong process. Something we will continue to learn as we walk with Jesus. But the truth is this. It's only in coming to Jesus empty-handed that we are then able to receive from Him, to be filled by Him with His power and His strength. Jesus says, My grace is is sufficient. My grace is all sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul responds, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Brothers and sisters, we have a God who loves us. A God who gave himself for us on the cross. A God who has defeated sin and death. Who was resurrected on the third day and who still now raises the dead to new life in him. And so like the blind man, we come to this God. We lay everything before Jesus. Everything. Everything. At the foot of the cross. And we cry out. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to see. I want to be freed from the things that blind me. I want, to be, I want to see that I might follow you. And so as you enter into this Holy Week, as we enter together into this week, remembering Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection, Let's continually ask that our eyes be opened so that we might see him more clearly, that we might trust him more fully, 
that we might follow him more passionately. Let's pray. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Thank you that you love us, that you gave yourself for us, and we ask that you, by the power of your Spirit, would free us from the things that blind us. Strengthen our faith. We want to see. We want to see you. We want to trust you. We want to follow you and you alone. And so we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.